Welcome to a public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. How vulnerable are our historic buildings to earthquakes and how can we preserve them from seismic tremors? Dr Dina Diala from the University's Department of Architecture and Civil Engineering will discuss the development of methods to protect and preserve historic buildings from seismic damage. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you very much for attending. Um, some of you will have recognized the feature of my first slides is the uh, facade of Lincoln Cathedral. It was damaged by an earthquake in 1185. And as a result of that damage, the upper part, as you can see, was rebuilt in Gothic styles, abandoning the previous Norman style. Lincoln, the, in its region, is the uh, highest uh, seismic uh, region in the UK. It just one year uh, ago, tomorrow, we had an earthquake of magnitude 5.3. It was not a very serious earthquake from the point of view of damage to buildings, um, but still one of the strongest earthquake in 20 years in the UK. Um, what I'm showing here is uh, two maps, one of the global seismic hazard and one of the location of heritage, uh, world heritage sites worldwide, um, one of which we all know is Bath. Um, and as you can see, there is an amazing overlapping between the position in red here are uh, the architectural heritage, while the one in green is uh, the natural heritage, and the red parts on the upper map. And that, that overlap shows that most of our built-up and architectural heritage is indeed in area of very high seismic risk. So humankind likes to live dangerously, clearly. <laughs> and hence, we need to do something about it, maybe. Um, damage to historic buildings is not a novelty. This is um, uh, an image of the uh, temple of Artemis in Jairash, uh, Jordan, built by Hadrian in the second century, um, Anno Domini. And as you can see, um, some of the uh, drums are shifted with respect of the, the alignment to the other. When we look at this from the archaeological point of, uh, of view and from the historian point of view, there is much debate about whether this building had been completed, had ever been completed, before earthquake struck. And as engineers, we can actually provide an answer. And the answer is the building had not been built. And how we understand that? Because we can look at the serious amount of damage at the lower drums, at the edge of each of the drums, as a result of impact between the drums during an earthquake, while we can also notice that the capitals are perfectly intact. So there was clearly nothing above the capitals to uh, damage them. Buildings usually uh, react 
to earthquake in different ways. This one, for instance, is an image of the dome of the Byzantine church of Santa Irene in uh, then Constantinople, um, now Istanbul. It's next to the more famous Hagia Sophia. And unlike Hagia Sophia, has survived the earthquake since the 18th century to today, which have, um, with a constant recurrence of one per century, more or less, hit um, Istanbul. However, of course, we can clearly see the damage that it has suffered as a result of the earthquakes. So, and we also know that Hagia Sophia was uh, partly, um, uh, partly collapsed as a result of an earthquakes in the uh, 10th century, and then it was uh, rebuilt uh, later on uh, with the help of the architect Sinan in the 14th century. And it has been strengthened and strengthened over the century until um, quite recently. Um, coming closer to our days, um, these is um, uh, two images of the earthquake uh, of the damage that the Basilica of St. Francis um, suffered in uh, 1997 as a result of um, um, Again, not a very serious earthquake, only magnitude uh, 6.5, and not particularly um, heavy in terms of uh, what we call acceleration to the ground, but the particular location of the uh, basilica at the top of a hill and the typical foundation condition and the material in which, with which was constructed uh, resulted in heightening the effect of the earthquake and creating uh, serious damage. Um, this is a map of the effect of the earthquake in terms of um, in what we call microseismic magnitude. And here is the epicenter. And Assis is quite away, away from the epicenter. So we wouldn't have expected serious damage there. But indeed, there was um, major um, damage to the basilica, and particularly we lost a quarter of a vault which was frescoed with um, frescoes by Cimabue, which of course are irreplaceable. And so even though the basilica is still there, the damage is indeed repairable, the heritage that was associated with it is actually lost uh, forever. The way in which the buildings are built and um, the material of which are built and the actual details are very important in their performance. <laughs> These, for instance, are two um, 18th century buildings in uh, Gujarati, Buj, affected by the earthquake of 2001. Uh, both very close to the, to the epicenter in this case. One clearly majorly damaged, the other one had only lost the upper parapet. So the, when we compare these two uh, performances, clearly we need to ask a number of engineering questions which have to go down to the actual detail of the behavior in order to understand why 
one survives and the other one not, and what is this that we can do for the one that perform less well. And finally, not to confine ourselves only to um, masonry buildings, these are uh, timber uh, built temples in Taiwan. In this case, we did an extended study uh, that is now lasting for the past four years on looking at all at an extensive surveys of all the uh, Diedu temples damaged during the 99 earthquake. And so we were able to classify both the level of damage, with, to correlate it with an extensive array of records of the actual seismic uh, action and shaking. Very often, the instruments are close to the location of the temples. And hence, in correlating this, we are then in a position to build up a model which will allow us to then recreate and simulate the performance and then study variations in order to understand what, um, how that performance is affected by constructional detail. So just to provide a um, general uh, framework of reference for the work uh, that we are doing, um, when we talk about conservation engineering, uh, really, what we have to do is to look at the present state of the building. Very often, when we consider an heritage building, this is a unicorn, so we cannot relate to standard, either to understand the behavior or to ensure the compliance to the building standard. Um, hence, we need to try to identify building by building or case by case or typology by typology the architectonic and structural feature, and also to identify the damage modes and to understand how um, these affect the structures. How can we do that? Either by comparison with other contemporary buildings or uh, similar buildings, or by what we call structural validation through modeling and testing. This is uh, what we will uh, look a bit more in detail in the rest of the talk. Um, once we have identified the architectonic and structural feature, we can better understand the original state. Once the original state is understood, then clearly we can identify parts missing, altered, or damaged, and hence devise repair, strengthening, and upgrading. Of course, this is the ultimate aim of our work, but we need to be, first of all, structurally feasible, but also it has to be philologically correct. Uh, he, the authenticity of the building cannot be lost because otherwise the heritage value is lost. And on the other end, of course, it has to be economically viable. Otherwise, no point in doing it. So in the case of isolated columns, this process might be... Um, relatively simple. The structural validation can be uh, obtained by either uh, direct integration with uh, accelerograms, for instance, so using directly the record that uh, of the uh, earthquake, if we have one. And 
a friction model, a friction joint model, as far as the material is concerned, usually well um, simulate and well address the actual physical behavior of the building. And again, the simulation provide good response with what we observe on site. When we are considering uh, more uh, involved structures, then uh, of course it becomes uh, a bit more complex. So for instance, this is a building, again, uh, damaged by the uh, Gujarati earthquake of 2001. We have to go on site, actually look in detail at the construction record or construction typology. Um, then um, also identify the damage, classify the damage as per occurring. And once we do this over a large number of buildings, we can then identify recurrence, of course, of behavior and come to the point in which we can say that, yes, there are a certain number of failure modes that are recording, that are recurring, sorry, for um, a large number of buildings built in a certain way. Um, in this particular case, historic masonries, more or less, um, comparatively uh, performing in the same way across the world. And we can identify mainly uh, behavior in what we call out of plane, i.e. the facade coming away from the building, from the rest of the building, or in plane behavior. Can we use then this observation on site uh, to develop an analytical model that will allow us to then recreate and simulate this behavior so that we can better study what the performance are without waiting for the next earthquake. And also that will allow us to actually quantify the um, engineering parameters of this behavior. And again, we have tried to um, simulate this by way of a friction model um, these are very simple experiments which are uh, aimed at identifying crack patterns and aimed at understanding what is the proportion, how the crack um, patterns relate to the behavior of the buildings. And in particular, here we can see that there are particular uh, proportion of the uh, force or the horizontal force acting, i.e. the acceleration and the vertical force acting on the uh, wall, which provide us with a minimum of capacity. And that is when um, the building, the, that particular panel will uh, fail. Let's try now to see if in the out of plane. Uh, so as you can see, we have assemblies of three walls. Again, these are very simple um, experiments in which the tilting of this table represents the proportion of vertical load to lateral load. And you can see that each of the different uh, walls damages in a different way. 
to a different extent and with different parts of the facade coming away. And the only difference between the four examples that I've shown you is the way that the walls are connected together. So what we are looking at is the way in which the out-of-plane wall connects to the, what we call the in-plane wall. And this problem of the corners is really what prevents the structure from uh, behaving well or indeed uh, ensure a good performance. In this, excuse me, in this case, there was very good overlapping. In the first case, there is very poor overlapping, as you can see from the lack of, uh, from the dark void here. Okay, and this is what creates the large extent of damage in this direction rather than in the other. Um, in order to better study these aspects, however, the previous ones are what we call static tests, so we are only looking at uh, performing uh, for the very uh, slow application of forces. Um, the earthquake is a dynamic action, so we actually need to shake those models. So we then moved to the uh, multi-axis shaking table available in the uh, Department of Mechanical Engineering, of which I'm sure um, Steve will talk more about it later. And we devised, the again, relatively simple uh, models, which, thanks to the fact that they are uh, assembled without mortar, and so they work with dry friction, we can assemble very quickly and then replicate very quickly as well, and replicate it many, considering many different parameters. And so we have, uh, for instance, in this case, subjected three different model sizes to a number of uh, different shaking frequencies, amplitudes, and accelerations. This is the first uh, very simple models, and the first things that we noticed was that, again, uh, after the shaking, uh, there was a lot of problem. There were a lot of problems with the corners. There were a lot of twisting at the corners, and the corners were coming uh, away to the extent that, as you can see here, by the end of the um, shaking, there is um, almost partial collapse of one of the facades. And this one can be uh, better understood from looking at the deformed shape during the various uh, cycles of motion of the uh, panels. Uh, if we look at the first cycles, we have quite large uh, waves, but we can also notice that the corners, which are the three lines on this uh, axis here, they are, drift they are already drifting away uh, quite a bit. And as we um, go through more cycles, this action of drifting increases. There is almost no shaking anymore, so no um, no cycling anymore, but there is a continuous drifting away. And again, we can see the drifting through the relative motion of one corner with respect to the other one 
of the facade. It's quite substantial. So in order to um, attempt um, a fest... Um, yeah, we are getting there. So you can see now the tables in action, and you can see the model shaking. In order to improve its performance, we had put um, loads here, which substantially damp the movement at the corner so that we can have a more um, clear behavior of the uh, facade in itself. We can now identify a crack pattern, which is very clear, and that reflects very well the, ex the uh, testing that we had done in the static uh, way. Um, there is still quite a bit of relative drifting between the center facade and the corner. But as you can see, this is much reduced now with respect to the, the form shape that we were looking at initially. And particularly, this uh, point of contact at the um, corner, it doesn't move at all. And there is also decoupling between the movement in one direction with the, the, with the movement in the other direction. Further, we can observe that the damping is, that the damping is effective and uh, is quite reduced as the uh, shaking, it doesn't go back to the maximum amplification, positive and negative, but stays at the center, stays on the same uh, side with relatively small amplitude. Um, we have then considered a third case, which again, now have, please be patient. Yes. Now, this is a much taller building. It's twice as tall. And again, now you can see the shaking quite uh, clearly. But you can also notice that if we look, the portion that is actually moving, it's are only the upper courses. Okay, so clearly the behavior is very much related to the height of the building and it's related to the um, amount of mass that is there. And indeed, if we look now at the development, at the vertical deformations of the facade, so these are the traces over many uh, cycles, for instance, the ninth and the... Um, 25th cycles, what we can notice is that, first of all, there is, independently of the two frequency at which we have um, simulated the earthquake, there is good overlapping and repeatability over the cycles. So the uh, structure is quite uh, stable. The, but the other things that we should notice is that, of course, the amplification is... Um, proportional to the frequency, and in particular, when we hit a particular frequency, as we will see in a minute, we have very large amplification of the motion. But also, you can notice that the curvature there is not, uh, that there is a curvature, that we don't have a straight line, which means that the upper, as I showed you earlier on, the lower part and the upper part are actually um, moving and rocking a different, uh, in a different way. 
Um, in order to um, better understand this, we can look at the um, amplification that we can measure on the building with respect to the input frequencies. And we can see that we have some peaks, which again show us that the building behave in a way in which we can identify what we call resonant behavior. So there are some harmonics for which the building is particularly um, susceptible. And we can also look at the um, amount of uh, absorbed energy. And we can see that the first model that I show had the greatest amount of absorbed energy, while the second and the third model behaved with, uh, to a certain extent, better in the sense that, and in fact, they were damaged to a much lesser extent. How do we make sense of all of this and we try then uh, to model it? Um, when we look at the motion, um, we notice that we have both sliding and twisting between the bricks and we also have rocking. Uh, the sliding and twisting and the rocking will all contribute to energy dissipation. And uh, moreover, each of the blocks will be subjected to gravity forces. But from what we have measured on the shaking table, and as I've tried to point out, we can notice that the upper part and the lower part behave in almost in two separate ways, but at the same time, each of the parts is quite uh, homogeneous within that area. So the idea is then to identify a model of this type in which the first several courses of the building will be simulated as one object. The rest of the courses will be simulated as another object. And we will consider both the relative rocking of these two objects, but also the relative sliding that can occur at any course. And this is a um, type of model that we can initially develop for something as simple as that, but then if once we have calibrated and works well, we can uh, extend to uh, full uh, buildings or part of the buildings. Why do we do all of this? Well, uh, the aim in the end is, of course, to um, strengthen those buildings. And so on, on a parallel um, activity, we are also looking at devices uh, that can be used to be inserted, steel devices that can be used, inserted in the masonry, in order to absorb all that energy that we have seen the building will dissipate through uh, damage. And these are two particular uh, devices that we are developing in a KTP um, project together with Syntec uh, International. And uh, the aim is to develop some prototypes that can then be put in production and used um, for um, the purpose. The type of applications that uh, we uh, are likely 
to be used for. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, we are looking at um, working in the Erbil Citadel to prepare a conservation plan for the inscription of the Erbil Citadel in northern Iraq in the um, World Heritage Site list. And of course, in order to do so, we, it's a relatively high seismic area. We need to also provide proper provision for um, the protection of the um, heritage there. Or indeed, uh, collaboration with the Bosphor universities in uh, Istanbul to um, define the seismic risk and hence the uh, strengthening strategies for the, uh, their wonderful national palaces. And with this, um, thank you for the, your attention. I hope I haven't taken too long. And um, thank you to my collaborators and to the staff.